Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Just now we have the lights. Let me see a show of hands. How many moms do we have here today? Quite a few. All right. Well, I was super fortunate to have a great mom growing up, and uh, she, uh, she was the best. I know not everybody has that experience, but I had a great mom. Love her dearly. Give a shout out to her. Mom Pat, if you're out there today, I love you. Miss you. All right. Well, today I, I want to have a, a, a message, and the title of the message is called Born Free. Born Free. And I, I kind of want to talk about mothers a little bit, uh, and maybe an analogy that we see in the Bible about mothers. So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know where each person stands on this whole issue of gender equality. It's a hot topic today, and I'll probably say something PC that I shouldn't, actually politically incorrect, I probably shouldn't say, but here's the deal. Men and women, moms and dads, are not equal. I'm just going to say that. You know why? Because women, if we were equal, we could all do the same thing. Women can do something that men can never do. You know what it is? Have babies. Right? So therefore, we're not equal. We can't do it. Matter of fact, I'm sure when God was creating man and woman, he realized that men were too much of a baby to have babies. You know, we're by nature whiners. You know, we complain a lot. And, and women, they just go through this thing and they have kids like, well, I don't know if they go through it. My, my wife probably had drugs most of the time, but you know. Now, she swears the last time, she, she didn't have time to get any drugs, but I, 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 we still argue about that to this day. Um, so, really, men, you, you play a very little role in having kids, right? We're, we're kind of there on the front end for just a brief second, and, and, then, and then we're there on the end. But at nine months in the middle, we're out of it. I actually played a part in all my kids' births, actually, um, when they were born, I had the privilege of snipping the umbilical cord in all three kids. Anybody ever do that as a dad? Never did that. It's not that hard. You know, the doctor, they tie it off, and they give you the scissors, and they kind of guide you through it. The funniest one was that the last pregnancy Kristen had uh, was Lauren, and, and she, she would barely, you know, even register on the scales today. But with Lauren, she decided this was the last time she had a free-for-all at the buffet. She ate and ate, and she was bigger than me. And, and she, she, matter of fact, when she'd step on the scale, it would say, one at a time, please. You know, kind of like that. So when we go, I'm only telling you, so when we go in, I go in that last day, Lauren's coming out, you know, the contractions are happening, and, and the doctor... He, he was, I'm trying to, and I, I was a lot bigger. I was probably, probably 30 pounds heavier than, a lot stronger. And I put my arms under her, and I was going to lift her from the table to, to the, uh, the birthing table. And here's why I know she didn't have drugs that day, or she needed them. The doctor goes, now he, he was Indian descent. He goes, Fred, be very, very careful, because she's very, very heavy. Whoa, she come up out of that bed. <laughs> All of a sudden, she wasn't thinking about having a baby any longer. And uh, happy that was Happy Mother's Day, right? 
we're celebrating those fun times in life. That was my, 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 greatest, my greatest contribution to having kids was that day. A little deeper? Hey, I got a big shovel. No, I find myself in this place a lot. No, I've got a great wife, great mom. She's a great mom. So when we, we think about the Bible, if I asked you, in the Bible, who does it say is the father of our faith? Bam. Abraham. And most people, could, you could go back to Romans and it says, for those who believe, Abraham's the father of us all. And that, that's a very common thing. But a lot of times we realize that Abraham is our spiritual father. And I realize a lot of you in, in, in church and, and, and today, you have a, somebody you call your spiritual mom or your spiritual dad. Right? It's the person that introduced you to Jesus, typically. Or the person that mentors you and, and kind of helps you grow in your faith. But, but in, this, in biblical terms, Abraham was our, our father. And it tells us that Sarah, his wife, was our mother. And a lot of times when we, we look at these Old Testament stories, and we're gonna, I want to teach today from Galatians chapter 5. I love Galatians, one of my favorite books. And I want to look at two things, Galatians 5, verses 1 through 4, and then Galatians 5, verses 13 through 15. But before we get to that, we have to understand Galatians chapter 4, because Paul tells a story. It's actually, it's called an allegory. Now, if you ever heard the word allegory, allegory means it's a story about people. It's a real story about real people that took place, but that story has a deeper spiritual significance today. And so, if you've ever read about Abraham, you know that in Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abraham, you're going to have a what? Yeah, well, he didn't actually have it, but yeah. He said, you're going to be the father of many nations. You're going to father a lot of people. And he was married to a woman at the time called Sarah. So, that was when Abraham was about 75. Fast forward to the time he's about 86, still no kids. Sarah still doesn't have any kids. And so she brings her handmaid, her slave girl, to Abraham and says, Hey, what? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take her as your wife, have a baby with her, and I'll raise that baby as, as my own. And Sarah, or Abraham marries and, and has uh, relations with Hagar. And Hagar and Abraham birth a baby named Ishmael. All right? And then we go about 13 to 14 years later, God comes back to Abraham and he says, hey, that's not the real kid. I'm going to give you a miracle baby. And that year, Abraham and Sarah conceive, and they have a baby named what? Isaac. All right. So you got Abraham and Hagar have Ishmael, and you have Abraham and Sarah have Isaac. And so a lot of times you'll hear people, and I'm not saying this is a wrong teaching, but it's just a minor application. So they'll say, well, hey, when God promises you something, don't get involved and try to take matters into your own hands, or you'll end up having a what? An Ishmael, right? And there's still problems today that the Palestinians and the Israelites still fight today. All goes all the way back to this Ishmael and Isaac thing. So it's still going on today, still problems. So that's a, that's a lesser application of that passage. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, actually interprets that and tells us what it's actually a picture of. And it's important to understand that picture that he's going to explain. He's going to tell the story in Galatians 4 to understand what we're going to look at in Galatians 5. 
So the crux of the message today is that you are born free. And if you're born free, you should live free. But how many of you know that just because you've been set free, we don't always live free? Right? You can be free spiritually and be in bondage to a lot of things. And so there's two points to the message today I really want to talk about. The first one is going to be free from self-effort. Free from self-effort or freedom from self-effort. And the, the antidote or the answer to that, it, it also begins with an S. It's the word stand. Stand. The second point is going to be freedom from self-indulgence. And the answer to that is serve. So freedom from self-effort, stand. Freedom from self-indulgence, serve. Everybody got that? You write those two things down today, you'll have, the, you'll have the, the main points of the message. All right, so I want to read this. So I'm going to read, just give you, we're going to read these, these first few slides, and then I'm going to give you a comparison uh, of what Paul draws the conclusions of. Let's go ahead and go to Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. Now this is the New Living Translation. I don't teach a lot from Galatians. It's very, uh, a lot of theology here, so, but we're going to just read through this. I want you to notice a few things here. We've got two sons, we have two wives, we have two covenants. So you'll, you'll notice that throughout here. Tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. We're just going to go right through these guys. Next slide. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. So we have two sons, two women, two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like that Mount Sinai in Arabia, because she and her children live in slavery to the law. So if you think about that for a minute, he's talking about Jerusalem. If you go back to the time that he's writing this, Jerusalem the city was still in slavery or in bondage to the Romans. So that city was still in slavery. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman, and she is our mother. Next slide. As Isaiah said, now this is the verse uh, I spoke. This is Paul's rendition of Isaiah 54.1. It says, Rejoice, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into a joyful shout, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac, but you are now being persecuted by those who want to keep the law, want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance of the, with the free woman's son, so do, oh, go back one. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. Say that. I am a child, I'm a child. of the free woman. Free. All right. So we got two mamas here, right? So my, my buddy, Andrew Roman, if you've known Andrew for a while, he, uh, he sent me a little birthday message this week. Very encouraging. He is, hey, my brother from another mother, right? So... That's a good thing, right? Everybody wants somebody to call, hey, that's my brother from another mother. That's a good thing. It means we're bros, we had different moms, but hey, we connect like brothers. 
That's good in the world. That's bad spiritually speaking. Because we don't want to be a brother from another mother when it comes to Sarah and Hagar. We all want to be brothers of the same mother. So that's where we're going today. We're all children of the who? Free woman, right? Because what happens? If, if you, or if, if your mom was a slave and you were born in that house where she was a slave, what are you? A slave. If a slave person births a baby, that baby is born a slave. If mom is free and mom has a baby, that baby's what? Free. And so Paul says, I'm going to look back at this story, and it's actually not a story about messing up what God's trying to do, although it is kind of, but there's a bigger picture than that. There's something bigger at play here. And it's really a picture between law and grace. So if you know anything about the Galatians, the Galatians were, uh, it's a group of churches in Galatia that got saved. They lived and partied and, and did all kinds of stuff and got saved. And then all these Jewish people came in and tried to impose the old Jewish law on them and tried to drag them back under the law. And, 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 and they were confused. And so Paul writes this letter to really clear up a lot of this confusion. So here's a couple. Uh, if you want to take a, a picture of this, you can. And don't, don't write it all down. But just a few things. So between Hagar and Sarah. So Abraham's slave wife, Abraham's freeborn wife. Gave birth to Ishmael, gave birth to Isaac. With Hagar, it was Abraham's attempt to bring about God's promise through human effort. With Sarah, through Abraham's faith, God fulfilled his own promise through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says Hagar represents the old covenant. Sarah represents the new covenant. So pretty much everything from here down is different maybe from what you've heard before. He says that Sarah rep or Hagar represents Mount Sinai where Sarah represents Mount Zion. You say, well, I don't remember hearing Mount Zion in there. If you have time today, go back and read Hebrews chapter 12. And in Hebrews 12, it talks about two mountains. The writer of Hebrews, which I believe was Paul, said, he said, we didn't come to the mountain that burned with fire. And we know the mountain that burned with fire was Mount Sinai, where the law was given. He said, we came to Mount Zion, heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable companies of angels, and it says where, where, where that the spirits, we talked about this when we talked about righteousness, the spirits of just men are made, made uh, perfect. So he said, we didn't come to this mountain that burned with fire. We didn't come to Sinai. We came to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. He says that Mount Sinai represents earthly Jerusalem. Zion represents heavenly Jerusalem. With Hagar, children live in slavery because they were born in slavery. With Sarah, children live in freedom because they were born in freedom. Now, here's where, here's where it gets tricky. So, what happened was, when, when Isaac was born, Isaac and Ishmael lived in the house together. Isaac would have been about 13 years old when, when uh, Ishmael would have been about 13 or 14 years old when Isaac was born. And they would have a time when they would bring the baby up, and, and the mom would eventually wean the baby, right? You move them from, from the mother's milk to solid food. And they had a party, and they celebrated this weaning of the baby. And it said when the weaning of the baby took place, having this party, it said that, 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 that Hagar's son, Ishmael, persecuted Isaac. He made fun of him. He called him names. And what did Sarah do? He, she went to Abraham and said, I want you to kick that woman out. I want her out of the house. And it said Abraham was really distraught about this because this was his son. 
right? Born to a slave that he married, but it was still his son. And God said, I want you to listen to what Sarah is saying, and I want you to do it. So he put her on the road. He kicked her out of his house. He kicked Hagar and Ishmael out of the house. But Sarah and Isaac stayed. So here's the thing today. Anybody ever see these bumper stickers that say coexist? Like, why don't we all just get along, right? Why don't we just hold hands and sing Kumbaya? But what God is saying, he said, I want you to kick the slave woman and her kid out because she has no share, he has no share in the inheritance that I've set aside for my freeborn kids. The point is, Sarah represents grace, Hagar represents law. The two cannot exist in the same house. You can't live in grace and practice law. You can't get born by faith through grace, or by grace through faith, and then go back and start playing with the law. And see, that's what the Galatians were doing. And, and, and don't, don't look down your nose at the Galatians because, my goodness, it's what we do today. We get saved by grace. We get set free by grace. We get delivered by grace. And then we go back into this performance mentality and trying to earn God's favor. And Paul says, I want you to kick law to the curb. You can't live in the house with grace and law. They do not coexist together. All right, so here's the point. She is not our mother. She is our mother. All right. The next slide. I underlined the word should, right? Because it doesn't function automatically. You have been set free if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. And you should live in freedom. So with that as a backdrop, I wanted to give you that story as a backdrop because I wanted, there's, there's more than two points in Galatians 5, but I want to hone in on these two. Self-effort, self-indulgence. Here's why. If, think, think of a road, right, with a ditch on either side of the road. Could be this, these aisles right here. You can get in the ditch either way. So, so Paul says that, that you're born of the Spirit. Later in, the, in, the, in Galatians 5, he says, I want you to walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit. We know that 2 Corinthians chapter 3.17 says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There is freedom or liberty. So right here, right here. We have a tendency with the flesh to go one of two ways. The flesh can pull me into performance-based Christianity, where it's by my effort. Or the flesh can pull me into self-indulgence, where I'm trying to please myself and, and live in sin. They're both works of the flesh. They're both dangerous. Paul says, I want you to live right here in the Spirit, in freedom. I don't want you to be over here in legalism, and I don't want you to be over here in licentiousness. I don't want you to be over here living under the law and under its bondage, and I don't want you over here thinking you have a license to sin either. They're both dangerous. So those are the two we're going to deal with today. All right, next slide. <clears throat> Freedom from self-effort. What's the word? Stand. Right? Stand. Roman, or Galatians 5.1. Performance-based Christianity puts you in bondage. He says, stand fast. It's really all one word. Stand fast, therefore, in, notice this, the liberty. The liberty. 
Because there's so many times we go chasing different freedoms. You know, we live in the United States. We got freedom of speech, and we got freedom to assemble, and we got freedom, uh, I don't know, what, bare arms, right? There's a whole bunch of them. They're all just elementary freedoms. Paul says there's one freedom. It's the freedom, only the one that Jesus can give you. He says, stand fast in the freedom in which Christ has made us free. So think about this, stand fast. The first thing you got to do is, how many mountains were there? Two. We got Mount Sinai representing the law or human effort or, or, or uh, self-performance. And we have over here Mount Zion representing grace and that God provides it for you based on what Jesus did and not based on what you did or do. And he says, I want you to, what? Stay put. I want you to stand right here. But too often we try to do this. We try to straddle the two mountains. Trying to stand on grace and stand on law. And you can't do that. And he says, I want you to stay right here. I want you to stay firm. I want you to stand. I want you to stay put. I want you to, to be steadfast right here. See, you were delivered here. Stay here. Don't go back over there. He says, stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled. That word entangled is the same word as like a bird getting caught in a net. Right? You ever see something get caught in a net? The more it, it moves, what happens? The more it, it gets tangled up. And that's what, that's what the law will do. That's what performance-based Christianity will do to you. It's, it compares it to a yoke of bondage. See, think about this. If, in order to get saved, all you had to do was put your faith in who? God or Jesus. I put my trust and faith in Jesus. I don't do anything more or anything less. I just put my faith and trust in Him. But when I get saved, how do, a lot of times we hear people say, well, God will bless you based on your obedience. And if you obey God, you're going to see the blessings of God. That is a subtle heresy. Because God never blesses you, favors you, prospers you, or anything based on what you do or can do or did. And the minute you start to add something to it, you negate what Jesus did. You actually say, what I'm doing is more important than what Jesus did. And here's where it becomes bondage. Because when you start living a performance-based life, so maybe you set out, okay, I'm going to live for Jesus this week. I'm going to read my Bible every day. Did you ever say that? I'm going to pray five minutes a day. So you pray five minutes, and then what? The devil says, you only prayed five minutes. You're supposed to pray ten. Oh, I'm going to pray ten minutes a day. You only prayed ten minutes. You're a pathetic Christian. I'm going to pray 15 minutes. I mean, where does it end? I'm going to read a chapter a day. I'm going to read two chapters a day. I'm going to read the whole Bible this year. And then when you don't do it, what do you deal with? Condemnation. It's bondage because you get one foot. Anybody remember the story about Uncle Remus's tar baby? It's like, this, it's just like every time you put your foot in, you get stuck deeper and deeper and deeper. You just, you just can't get out because where does it end? That's what the law does. He compares it to a yoke of bondage. You think of a yoke. A yoke is something they would put on oxen, right? It, it was an animal that was meant to, to do work or service. And he says the law is like a heavy yoke around your neck. But listen to the yoke of grace. 
Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Compare the yoke of the law to this. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I, want, I highlighted two things there. The first thing Jesus says, he says, All you who labor and are heavy laden, come to me and I'll do what? He says, I will give you rest. The second one says what? You will find rest for your souls. Two different things. A lot of times we just jumble it all up in one. So I really see the difference here. One being salvation. The second one being living a life of grace in the Lord. Think about this. Jesus says, all you who labor and are heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus says, hey, bring your stuff to me. Bring your issues to me. Bring your sin to me. Bring whatever to me and I will give you rest. You don't have to do anything, just bring it to me. Then he says, take, now, after you bring him your stuff, now he says, take my yoke on you. Take, put my yoke on you and do what? Learn. Learn. So this doesn't function automatically. The first one, bring your stuff, I'll give you rest. The second one, put my yoke of grace on you and learn from me, and you will find what? Rest for your soul. Your soul is your emotion. Your soul is your, your thinker, your chooser, your feeler. So here's what it is. When you're wrapped up in legalism, it wears on you in here. You're like constantly thinking, did I do enough? Did I give enough? Did I serve enough? Did I go enough? Did I did it? Did did but Jesus says when you take the yoke of grace and learn from him, the message translation says, learn my unforced rhythms of grace. And you learn that. You learn that from him. And then you find a different rest. Then you find how to rest in him. See, he gives you the rest the day you come to him, but then we learn how to walk in that. It's a different thing. Next slide. He says, Indeed I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised, he's a debtor to keep the whole law. Paul was circumcised himself. Right? He, he tells us in Philippians, he, he went through all his, his, uh, his background. He was circumcised. So he's not really talking about circumcision as a point. Circumcision at the time, it was a hot button. It was the thing that people were trying to get uh, Gentiles to do. Says, well, you're not really saved unless you get circumcised. Well, that's not really a hot topic today, right? <laughs> I, haven't really, I haven't really heard anybody preaching that one. But we do, so what it represents, it's not what it is, it's what it represents. It's any external action that you do to find favor with God. Any external action. Circumcision was an external action. So maybe it's going to church. Maybe it's tithing. Maybe it's witnessing. Whatever it is. Whatever you hang your hat on. You're like, well, how do I know? I'll ask you this. Here, here's a litmus test. If I said, all right, I want you to think for a minute. If I, if I called God up on the phone, and, and he asked me a question, and he said, why should I bless and favor you? You call up God. You say, hey, God, I need a little blessing in my life. 
Anybody need a little blessing? I do. But if you call God up and say, hey, I need a little blessing, I need a little favor in my life, and he said, why should I give it to you? If your answer is anything except J-E-S-U-S, you failed. That's how you can tell if you're living that life. There's only one answer. God says, give me a reason, it's Jesus, period. If you add something to it, look what it does. Jesus is no benefit to you, no profit to you, no value to you. So I put this axiom on the next slide. Anytime it's Jesus plus anything equals nothing. So we always think addition. When you add something, it becomes more. Actually, in, in, in the spiritual realm, when you add to what Jesus did, it becomes less. He says, well, if you try to do things to merit God's favor, Jesus actually becomes of no benefit to you, of nothing. So Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. All right, next slide. It says you've become estranged from Christ. You who seek to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Let me explain this real quick. If we hear somebody that they fell from grace, what do we think of? They committed some moral failure, right? Oh, did you see that pastor? He had a fall from grace. You see, you know, that's, what we, that's not falling from grace. That's not falling from grace. He says, you who have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law or be found right with God by the law, you have fallen from grace. Falling from grace is actually going back under the law. See, if you fall into sin, you actually fall into grace. But when you fall into legalism, you fall from grace. Completely opposite of what we would think. It says you've become estranged. Maybe some, you think of that word, maybe some of you have an estranged spouse. Estranged means that you are still married, but what? Separated. Not living together, but you're still married. So this doesn't mean that you lose your salvation. You're still married to Jesus, but you're just living in the wrong address. You're living outside of the place where his favor and abundance and blessing can be poured out on you by choice. You've estranged yourself from him. And it says you've fallen from grace. If I fall from grace, guess what you can't fall from? I was, I was talking to some salespeople this week, and this came up. The guy that was on the bottom of the list, you can't fall from the floor. Right? I was like, you don't have far to go. You're already at the bottom. Right? You can't fall from the floor. You can only fall from what? A higher position. Grace is a higher position than the law. You can't fall from the law. You can only fall from grace. See, think of it like this. Mount Zion, grace is here. Mount Sinai, law is here. And you can only fall down to it by walking back into that way of thinking. So Paul says, I want you to do what? Stand. Stand. Stay here. You were saved by grace through faith. You live your life as a Christian by grace through faith. Same way. Stay right here. Don't get drugged back on that other, that other side. All right, last one. Next slide. Freedom from self-indulgence. The answer is what? Serve. 
So here's what happens a lot of times. People say, wow, you mean to tell me that God will bless me, favor me, prosper me, all that good stuff apart from anything I do. That's true. That's awesome. You know why? Because I love to sin. God loves to forgive. I'll do what I do best and he can do what he do best and it'll be a match made in heaven. No, that's not, <laughs> that's not it. Right? But that's what some people think. Well, just because if God forgives me of all my sin and God loves me and blesses me and favors me independent of me, I'll just go over to this ditch and I'll live right here. See, it's, it's just another ditch. That one's self-effort to get God's, per, God's uh, blessing. This one is self-indulgence because I think it doesn't matter. It does matter. It really matters. See, freedom from sin is not freedom to sin. That's what you got to remember. Some people think, well, I got grace and I got God's forgiveness. Freedom from sin is not freedom to sin. It doesn't give you the ability to just go out and live the way you want. There's consequences. There will be consequences. All right, let's read this. Galatians chapter 5. For you, brethren, have been called again to what? Liberty, freedom, right here, right here. We're called right here, not there and not here. Called liberty. Do not use liberty as an opportunity for what? The flesh. Don't use the fact that you've been given liberty. I'm not under the law. I'm not under these legal requirements. Don't use that. The, the word opportunity actually means a, a home base. It means that, like it's a military term and at the home base. Don't use that as your launching pad for your sinful lifestyle. I've got grace. I'm launching out into a lifestyle of sin. Uh -uh. He says, don't use liberty as an occasion for the flesh, but look at this, but through love, do what? Serve. You haven't been set free to sin, you've been set free to serve. You know why? Because sin and self-indulgence is by nature selfish. Sin is selfish. Think about all the sins you've done. You're feeding what you want to do. It's selfish by nature. See, every time you go out and, and you indulge in something, you're feeding your selfish desires. You're feeding your flesh. You're doing what you want to do. It's very self-centered. And he says the opposite, the, 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 the solution, if you will, or the antidote for living a lifestyle like that is to love somebody and serve them. See, if I'm serving you, I'm not serving myself. See, if I'm loving you and serving you, I'm not going to be fulfilling the things that I want to do. And actually, when you do one, you don't do the other. So you don't have to go out and try to like, well, I got to stop doing this. I got to stop doing this. I got to stop doing this. Serve somebody. Serve somebody. And when you're serving somebody, those things are going to fall away. Who in the Bible had more freedom than anybody? This isn't a trick question. Yeah, think about it. Jesus had more freedom than anybody. But look what he did. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says, The Son of Man, speaking of his humanity, the Son of Man did not come to be, what? Serve, but to serve. Jesus, that had more freedom than anybody, this is our example, 
He could have done anything. He was free to do whatever he wanted, but he chose to use his freedom as an opportunity to serve people. Next slide. Remember I said if you sin, there's going to be what? There's consequences to your actions. Paul says this, he says, All the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but, 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 get the but out of the way, right? There's a but here. But, if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. See, the, the flesh wants to, I'm going to gossip about him. The flesh wants to, I'm going to get back what he took from me. The flesh wants to cuss her out. The flesh wants to take back what I feel is rightfully mine. The flesh wants to, you name it. He says, okay, if you want to live like that, okay, but beware, because there's consequences to living like that. See, when you go out and start biting and devouring somebody else, it's going to end in destruction. The word con con the consume means to destroy. The antidote is serve. I'm going to close with a verse out of 1 Peter chapter uh, 4. It's a passion translation. It says, above all, constantly echo God's intense love for one another. So what do we do? We, by love, serve one another, right? Paul said, by love, serve one another. Peter says, echo God's intense love for one another, for love will be a canopy over a multitude of sins. Everybody say this. Every believer. Look to your neighbor and say, that's you. Look to yourself and say, that's me. All right, anybody excluded? The only person in here today that's excluded is if you're not a believer. So if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, this does not pertain to you. Now we can show you and lead you to meet Jesus. That's easy. But this is for believers. And it's for how many believers? Every. All. Nobody's exempt from this. He says every believer has received what? Grace gifts. Use them to serve one another as what? Faithful stewards of the many-colored tapestry of God's grace. You have received a grace gift. Say that. I've received a grace gift. I've received a grace gift. Now, when God entrusts you with something, He doesn't give it to you to bury it like the bad steward did. Right? You think of the parable of the talents. Or the parable of the minas. There was always the one guy that went and buried the stuff. See, it doesn't always just apply to money, it applies to giftings. See, God's gifted every single believer. And He expects you to be a good steward of what He's entrusted to you. And as you steward well the grace gift that He's given you, all of a sudden those selfish desires are going to fade away. So if you look at this, you see the word there, that the, the Passion translates it, many colored. It's the word diverse. Diverse. Multifaceted is another translation. 
I love to compare this verse so we have multifaceted, multicolored grace that each one of us have, right? In James chapter 1, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into what? Diverse temptations. Same word. So there's multifaceted temptations, but there's also multifaceted grace. And God has entrusted you with a particular grace to be used to help in somebody else's temptation. Diverse temptations, diverse grace. Multifaceted temptations, multifaceted grace. See, the thing that you've been delivered from gives you an anointing to help other people that are dealing with the same thing. And so if I want somebody to pray for somebody that's dealing with addiction, I'm going to find me somebody that's been delivered of addiction because they've got a grace gift that I don't have. Because God's delivered you from it, and you need to use it to help somebody else. So let me speak to my home, uh, Hope Homes here for a minute, and graduates. I can't back this up numerically, but I'm, I'm, I think I'm pretty accurate. Most of the people who come through our home and graduate and have maybe a little measure of success, they typically fall back into bondage because they didn't find a ministry. Do you think there's a correlation there? That God says... The answer to self-indulgence is serving somebody. The word means minister to. If I can connect you with the ministry, your chances are greater of not going back into the thing that you left. And God wants you to do it. He's, in, he's equipped you to do it. He's graced you to do it. I want everybody. It's like, this, this is not my ministry just because I preach. This is God's ministry, and we all have a gift. And you all need to be using it. Like, this, this isn't my gig. I'm doing my part. I'm teaching. That's what I do. God teaches me things, and I give it to you, but that's just one piece of the multifaceted grace of God. It's not the only piece. Everybody here holds a piece. And everybody here is missing a piece. And you need to take the piece that you have and put it in the hole that somebody else has. And help them. Do you have a whole other enlightenment on what freedom is? Right? Freedom's more than just, man, I'm out of jail. I'm going to do what I want to do. See, you ever met somebody that spent a, a long time in jail, 10, 20 years, and then they come out into the, the, the regular world and they can't, it's called, they can't assimilate? Very true in the, in the spiritual realm, too. People get delivered of bondage into freedom and they can't live there because they only know this. And then they just naturally go back to it. But Paul says when you do that, you void everything that Jesus did. Why would you? Two things. Stand. Right? What are we going to do? Stand. When I want to serve the flesh, what am I going to do? Serve somebody else. All right, I hope you got something today. Let's stand up. I'm going to pray for you.
As always, if you don't know Jesus, it's as simple as this. Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you. I believe that I am a sinner, that the penalty of sin is death, that you came to earth to pay the penalty for me. You died, you bore my sin, you suffered, you rose again the third day, and I put my faith and trust in you. And the Bible says you will be saved. You can start your new life with Jesus today just by doing that. Today's message was mainly for believers, people that have been set free. And now that you're free, there's a responsibility. Not to go back into bondage and to serve somebody. Not to, not to serve yourself. So let's just close our eyes. I want to pray for you guys. Anybody here that doesn't know Jesus, just lift your hand. I'll, I will pray for you. I won't embarrass you. Just wave your hand at me if you don't know Jesus today and you'd like to meet Jesus. Anybody? I don't see any hands. All right. So put your hands out like you're receiving. We're going to, we're going to, receive, uh, we're going to receive these grace gifts that God has for us. Father... I pray right now these two things. One, that we would stay steadfast in grace. That we would stand on the mountain, Lord, that, that's Mount Zion, that's the new covenant, that we wouldn't be drawn back into performance mentality. Father, that we would never think that anything we do could ever measure up to what you've already done. Lord, we receive your work as a finished work by faith right now. Lord, I just pray right now for the, the, the flesh, that we would, we would squelch every desire of the flesh, that we would get involved in ministry. Father, I pray that you would just give creative ideas, urges, nudges, uh, words of knowledge, Father, that you would let every person here today know what you've designed them and created them to do, that they would flow in their ministry and be successful at it, and deny the flesh in so doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Happy Mother's Day. Have a great day.